Welcome to the 173rd edition of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly look at college football, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in Major League Baseball, Patrick went 1-3 in his Major League Baseball weekend series predictions. In NCAA football, Patrick went two and two with his predictions. And similarly in the NFL, Patrick went two and two with his predictions, making Patrick a combined five and seven this past weekend with his predictions. That brings him to an overall record of 484 and 335, which is a 59.1% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, some of these games we uh, won't be talking about much, but others we will. Definitely the college football ones. There are a lot of important games this weekend. Told you a lot about some very important teams for down the stretch. Um, in terms of the baseball predictions, this is a hard week to predict because you really just never know how much a team is going to care. And uh, I just tried to pick the teams who I thought actually were still playing for something. Um, and then in the Rays and the Astros, I just thought that the Astros just on pitching alone just would be able to win that series. And they did. But uh, the Yankees did not look very motivated in that series. They didn't really do anything on offense, and as such, they lost the Orioles. Uh, the Braves swept the Mets. We'll be talking a lot about that one. Um, that one was a, a true toss-up for me, so I just, I, I really think those teams are pretty much equal in talent overall. Um, so I just leaned with DeGrom and Scherzer, and uh, well, the Braves lit both of them up, and uh, we'll talk about that more later. Um, and then with the White Sox and the Padres, I assume that the team that just got eliminated from the playoffs would play a lot harder than the team that's trying to play for seeding and play for their matchup and play actually into the playoffs still at that moment. But lo and behold, Padres offense just went completely cold against a team with no motivation. But I guess at the same time, nothing to lose. Definitely didn't think they were going to lose that series, but they did. And then uh, in the NCAA, we'll talk about who we'll talk about these games in more depth later, but I picked Ole Miss correctly, I picked Clemson correctly, I incorrectly picked Florida State, they lost, and I incorrectly picked Baylor, they lost. Uh, I did not stick with my formula of three home teams and one road team. If I had picked a road team, it would have been Oklahoma State, so I probably could have done better, but that's okay. Um, in the NFL, uh, my two losses were two teams that were on reverse ends of comebacks. The Ravens had a massive lead, had a 20-10 to 10 lead at the half but weren't able to close out the game and weren't able to prevent the Bills from making a comeback, whereas the Titans had a massive lead on the Colts at the half, but then the Colts, I think it was 24 to 10, but then the Colts just kept fumbling the ball and missing field goals and then punting from probably the very edge of their kicker's field goal range, and they ended up choking away their potential to make a comeback. So opposite ends of the comeback spectrum there that uh, got me the losses, and then I won by picking the Bengals, um, and I won by picking the Chiefs, who won on Sunday Night Football. Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursday. Let's move from Patrick's weekend predictions to a quick look back at Week 5 action in NCAA football. Patrick, what were the best games of Week 5? Well, these games were, well, one of these games was very expected to, in terms of being good, uh, and the other one, not at all. Uh, Georgia, the number one team in the country. Started the game down 13 to nothing at Missouri. It was 16 to six at the half. Uh, Georgia was trailing by double digits in the fourth quarter. They had to score 14 points in the fourth to barely squeak by Missouri, beating them 26 to 22. 
this is just way closer than it should have been. And uh, that was uh, it just wasn't a good showing by Georgia. And it's the second week in the row that they've kind of come out flat. And you would expect that after coming out flat against Kent State, you'd really expect them to be able to correct that and play better against a team like Missouri, because at least it's a conference opponent. Right. This is a team who we know is at least better than Kent State. Um, but at the same time, Georgia really just didn't show up in terms of offense for a while. Their defense was holding Missouri to field goal after field goal after field goal, keeping them in the game. Um, and, you know, you can make the argument, well, why didn't they just stop them before they even got to the red zone? But look, we can't expect their de- – Georgia should not be expecting their defense. I, I won't say we can't, but Georgia can't expect their defense as a team to just stop everybody before they even get a first down. I mean, that's what they did last year, but they lost, what, like eight or nine starters from that team and six or seven of them went in the first round from that defense alone. So we know that they've lost guys and their offense is the side of the ball that actually kept a lot of guys. They really only lost George Pickens and he was out most of the last season anyway. Um, so w- when you're looking at it, when you're looking at it that way, they should be playing better complimentary football. And this game was a horrible showing for them, but at the same time they escape with the win. They're still undefeated and they play in the weaker division in the sec. So they still have, uh, a lot of leeway in terms of getting better over the course of the season, at least a lot more than a team like Alabama would. Moving on to other teams in the SEC who don't have much room to uh, much uh, leeway to improve. Kentucky figured that out this weekend. Uh, they lost 22 to 19 to Ole Miss on the road. Uh, that was one of the games I predicted. Kentucky fumbled two times in the fourth quarter in the scoring zone, I'll say. They weren't in the red zone, but they were on the verge of the red zone and were definitely within field goal range and obviously down only a field goal. Those types of turnovers are devastating. Um, Ole Miss also sacked Will Levis for a safety in this game, uh, and they also uh, turned him over with an interception. So their defense played surprisingly well. I mean, this is... uh, A lot of people have been calling this the most well-rounded Ole Miss team in the Lane Kiffin era, and that very well may be true just because of the fact that regardless of maybe they don't have that uh, explosive offense that they did with Matt Corral, but at the same time, they have the defense now that they don't need to only get into shootouts. They can actually play games with normal scores in them that don't look like Big 12 games on the scoreboard by the end of the week. But Ole Miss played well. Kentucky, look, their loss is not bad enough to knock them out of playoff contention or anything. It's just going to be a matter of can you beat who's in front of you on your schedule? And I think Georgia is obviously one of those games because they're in that division. Uh, but that will be the test. I mean, hey, they beat Georgia. They will make the SEC championship game. Then it's beat Alabama and you're in the playoff. I mean, it's a pretty simple formula in the SEC. As long as you can avoid multiple losses, you have that for that 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 road right laid out for you to get to the playoff. It, it's not too hard of an equation. The problem is actually winning the games if you're not Alabama or Georgia, and obviously neither of these teams are. Ole Miss still looked impressive, but still not ready to put them in that top tier of playoff contenders just yet. Yeah, simple equation, not so easy to do. Um, and, and Missouri kicking five field goals uh, in a game at home against Georgia, you really need to convert those to touchdowns, particularly when you have first and goal um, at the one-yard line, and then you take a false start on first down in your home stadium end up kicking a field goal. That's not the way to pull off the upset, but very exciting games. All right, let's move on to the biggest upsets of week five. Well, this one may not be the the biggest upset, but it is an upset nonetheless. Uh, UCLA beat undefeated Washington number 15, 40 to 32. Washington scored 16 points in garbage time in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, I guess they technically got the game within one possession, but most of those points did not 
you could call them meaningless after we've seen the results of the game. Uh, the, the, this team and the other team that we're about to talk about who lost, they both have a, uh, they both got ranked because they beat a Michigan state team that was top 15 preseason, but that Michigan state team is now two and three on the season. And uh, we're not talking about them because their game against Maryland wasn't too relevant. Uh, but Maryland did go on and beat Michigan state, making the Spartans two and three on the season. And that just means that maybe we had overrated Washington because they didn't beat no, no one's putting Maryland in the top 15, I guess is my point. I mean, Washington got all the way up here on the back of playing an easy schedule and then winning their quote unquote tough game. Um, and then UCLA just came in here and knocked them off pretty easily. And I don't really think UCLA is either also a top five team, top 15 team. I should say they're definitely not top five. Uh, but then Purdue went on the road and beat number 21, Minnesota, who had also gotten into the rankings uh, uh, pretty much on the basis of beating Michigan State. Uh, Minnesota's win still more impressive than Washington's though, because they won by a larger margin and they won on the road. Uh, also while Michigan state was looking for revenge from a loss, as opposed to Washington, just flying them in a night game at home. Uh, but look, I've said this the whole season, Purdue schedule is so unbelievably easy that there's no reason that they shouldn't win the, their division in the big 10. They should win the big 10 West, not necessarily easily. At least that's what we thought preseason. But they really should have that path that they should win it. They only need to win one or two tough games. Uh, they did choke that game against Penn State, which was one of the pivotal games. But the Minnesota game was one of the three losses I had them taking. So they've already gone, they already have gone one and one when I predicted them to go 0 and 2. And I still had them winning the conference after starting 0 and 2 in the conference. Now, the result at Syracuse kind of took away some confidence in terms of the level of the team overall. But still, this team has everything laid out in front of them. Every team in the Big Ten West is 1-1 one one or 0-2, oh uh, so there's a lot of room to win that division pretty easily, and I'd say Purdue's probably played their toughest two games of the year already, especially because Wisconsin and Iowa are nowhere near as good as we thought they were going to be, or at least as good as they have been in the past, which is kind of the reason that I, I thought Purdue could win in the first place, is I thought those two would be down. I did not think they would be this bad, but really... I think Illinois might even be the second best team at this point after beating Wisconsin, beating them by a big margin, actually, on the road. I mean, you could easily make that argument, but the Big Ten West is a disaster, uh, and Purdue getting that upset on the road, pretty important. Uh, then you have TCU, who beat Oklahoma 55-24. to I don't think this was such an upset in terms of uh, TCU winning the game, but just the fashion in which they won the margin they won by. Obviously, this was affected by the fact that Dylan Gabriel was injured and uh, carted off the field in, I believe, the second quarter. Uh, and Oklahoma's offense really kind of stalled after that. But at the same time, TCU came out and went on a 20-3 to run to start the game. And they were up 27-10 to after the first quarter. And then they were up 41-17 to at the half. So, and 55-17 to after the third quarter, by the way. But that doesn't matter as much. The point is TCU's offense is very, very explosive. And they, out of all these teams who pulled off the upsets, they definitely impressed me the most. Now, before we move on to most impressive teams, one last upset. Neither of these teams are impressive. This is a showing of bad teams. Georgia Tech beat Pitt 26 to 21. Uh, that doesn't reflect well on West Virginia. Uh, it doesn't reflect well on Pitt, very obviously. West Virginia more by transitivity, but Pitt directly, they lost to the worst team in the ACC. I mean, it, plain and simple. 
Tennessee's win over Pitt is starting to lose some of its merit a little bit, but still going on the road against a AC against an ACC team is still hard to get the win there. But at the same time, maybe they should have won by more. And we're starting to see that kind of in the same vein that Utah's loss to Florida doesn't look like a great loss anymore when we've seen Florida kind of come out and continue to struggle. Uh, but look, this loss is just straight up embarrassing. I mean, Georgia Tech, I think they were underdogs by at least 30 points in this game. So it, it just, you can't lose games like this, especially if you're a pit and you're trying to turn around a program and your coach is uh, screaming at ESPN every other week because he feels that they're being disrespected. Well, they have been rightfully disrespected. This team is trash. Okay, let's move away from a trash team to uh, most impressive teams. Trash teams, you should say. Although there is a trash team right here, too. Texas A&M, number 17 in the country. Shouldn't have been. They aren't anymore. There's a reason why I almost left them out of my rankings. I really had no option but to leave them in, but I didn't really want to have them in. Uh, Mississippi State beat Texas A&M 42-24. Really just impressed by the fact that a&M had the number six defense in the country, I think, according to SP Plus. Um, and they just got rolled over in this game by Mississippi State. It was just a very strong showing on offense for a team that is supposed to be built off the back of their offense. But at the same time, against a very strong defense, still, I do believe that those rankings are right. AM's problem is that they have no offense, not that they have no defense. And 42 points is a strong showing, whether it's on the road or at home against a team that has as much talent and is as good on defense as A&M is. So I was very impressed with Mississippi State there. Um, Oklahoma State, I was very pleasantly surprised with special teams in this game. I mean, you thought that Baylor kind of had some momentum because they scored and then they were going to bring things back in their favor. I mean, Oklahoma State took the game, sorry, Oklahoma State took, not the game starting, but the second half starting kickoff straight back for a touchdown and uh, it was what it was sixteen to three, and then it, it was twenty three to three at the half after that, or right after the half uh, started, uh, because of Oklahoma State winning that uh, or scoring that touchdown, and then Baylor came back and scored twenty two points in the third quarter, but Oklahoma State was still scoring enough to shut them out. So uh, crop, uh, props to Oklahoma State for how they played in that game, and uh, they were very impressive on offense and on defense in this game. And finally, you've number five Clemson who beat NC State 30-20 to 20 at home. I was I was impressed by their offense's ability to move the ball against a stellar team on defense this week. It was uh, a pleasant surprise for me. Okay, what about the best road wins from last weekend? Well, I have to go with number 22, Wake Forest, who beat number 23, Florida State, 31-21. to 21. I obviously predicted Florida State, um, but Wake shocked me by pulling off that win. It was a good win for them. Um, and then I'll move on to number two, Alabama, who beat Arkansas 49-26. to There were pretty much three different games going on in this game. Um, Alabama really destroyed Arkansas, and then Arkansas destroyed Alabama back, and then Alabama destroyed Arkansas again. Um, Alabama, I think, was up 21 to nothing in this game before Arkansas, or no, they were up 28 to nothing actually. Um, Bryce Young scored the, fir- scored the first 14 points, and then Jalen Milrow, their backup, scored the next 14, and then all of a sudden, Arkansas scored 23 unanswered to make it 28 uh, to 23, and then Alabama went on a 21-0 run to make it 49 to 23 before Arkansas cut it to 49 to 26, I believe. Uh, So look, this was really three different games, but Alabama won two of the three games within that game, and that's all that matters. Uh, This is a very impressive road win to 
only score 14 points with Bryce Young, have to come in with a backup and beat a ranked team on the road. And they were able to do it. And it was a tough environment too. So a good win for them. And then Michigan beat Iowa. Again, we don't think Iowa's as good as we thought they were preseason, but Michigan still against kind of like A&M. They, this is a team, Iowa, that's very offensively challenged, especially in the quarterback area. Um, but overall, still a very good defensive team and a hard team to beat. And look, Iowa, they talk about it's the place where top five teams go to die. Their teams are five and two. They're five and two against the top five teams in the last seven games they've played. Uh, but Michigan able to buck that trend and get revenge for 2016, get their first one in Iowa City since 2005. So good for Michigan there. Okay. Any other quick takes from other games across college football or in general week five? Well, I, I go back to the fact that Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Clemson, USC, and Tennessee really look like the playoff contenders. I mean, you could maybe throw in Utah if they're able to knock off USC and Salt Lake City when they play each other. Uh, you could throw in Penn State if they're somehow able to beat really any combination of Michigan and Ohio State as long as they can make the Big Ten championship off the back of that win. Um, they can get in there, too. And NC State also can, if Clemson somehow falters in the ACC and they become a one-loss ACC champion, they would need a lot of other help, but it's still possible. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I really think that um, those teams are kind of the main playoff contenders. And then Ole Miss also, along with Utah, Penn State, and NC State, and even Kentucky, would kind of be in that main group depending on some other results later in the season, but I'm not quite ready to go with to go with them being that good just yet. But that is my read on the season right now. Um, I definitely think that top five is very secure of Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, and Clemson. Um, but at the same time, I think the top three is even more secure with Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State, although Georgia's kind of starting to slip off that a little bit, and they look like they're the closest to kind of dropping out of that tier. But Alabama and Ohio State, are the top two teams in the country. I'm pretty confident about that, just like we thought preseason. Um, and then Michigan, Oklahoma State, Clemson, and to some extent USC, they've shown flashes this season that they could maybe join that group. And uh, obviously with Michigan, they're going to play Ohio State, and that's going to control if that's going to be true or not. With Clemson, they're, they have two tough road tests uh, at Notre Dame and I believe at North Carolina. But other than that, that's kind of it. They don't really have that hard of a schedule. NC State was pretty much the hardest game on their schedule. And uh, if they're able to kind of breeze through the rest of their games, which they should, because um, they'll be double-digit favorites in five of the last seven that they play, uh, then they'll probably just waltz into the playoffs, and then we'll have to test them against the playoff caliber teams when they get into the playoff. Yeah, well, you, um, I think you missed one of the biggest stories of college football. It's who are the bottom two teams. Both UConn and Florida International got a win against a, uh, FB, <laughs> FBS team last week, um, ruining this weekend's matchup of UConn FIU to see who might be the worst team in college football. We might have a debate about that, seeing as how both of them got wins over other programs, but congrats to UConn and FIU for breaking very long losing streaks uh, against FBS opponents. All right, let's uh, wrap up college football and move on to our weekly look of major league baseball, starting in the American league. Um, and I assume you want to start in the American league East. I will start in the American league East, although I will not be talking about the Kansas city Royals and the Detroit Tigers playing anytime soon. While you just went into the bottom two teams of the FBS, we won't be talking about the bottom two teams of the MLB. Anyway, the New York Yankees have clinched the division at 98 and 61, obviously. Okay. Well, I should mention this before everything. We know the 12 teams of the playoffs now. Yay. We know who's playing, but we don't know who's playing each other yet. Um, the Yankees, if you look at the separation, you do some quick math. 
there's three games left maximum for any team for, I think there are a few teams playing doubleheaders. The Mariners are one of them. The Mets are one of them um, as well. But the Astros have 104 wins. The Yankees have 98. The Guardians have 90. So pretty simple. Astros have home field. Yankees are second. Guardians are third. The Guardians will be playing the worst, the the wild card team with the worst record, and we'll get into that later. Uh, but for now, the Yankees obviously have clinched this division, and the Blue Jays and Rays uh, keep winning enough. I mean, not really with the Rays, but just enough that the Orioles have been eliminated. They were the last team eliminated, which is a sentence I did not think I would be saying at the beginning of the season. Honestly, Brandon Hyde should still get coach of the uh, manager of the year uh, votes. Uh, I know he has one of mine just for making this team above 500 after being one of the worst so consistently for so long. Um, but, you know, then you got the Red Sox at the bottom of the division. But the important thing, the Yankees getting the two seed, they will have a bye along with the Astros, and we'll see who they play uh, later. I mean, we don't know for a while. Anyway, the Guardians, they are the three seed. The White Sox are sitting at 80 and 80. They might end up above 500, but the biggest storyline with them is that they have announced that Tony LaRusso will not be returning. I believe they said it was due to medical uh, issues that had actually prevented him from managing some games recently. Um, and he, I think, is actually retiring, uh, although I think he came out of retirement before. So, you know, you never know what could happen there. But I I, I get the sense that this might be his uh, his final stint there um, and final stint overall, honestly. Uh, then you have the disappointing Twins who were supposed to win this division and all of a sudden are now six games below 500 and will probably finish uh, seven six or seven games below 500, which is a big disappointment considering uh, just, you know, signing Carlos Correa, all those all those types of things. Uh, having that great start to the season, they really just kind of fell apart at the end. They made a big effort at the trade deadline, and none of it really worked. Um, and then that's all I have for the Central. I mean, our division outlooks are going to be very short this week. Uh, but you have the Astros in the West. They won the division a long time ago. They clinched the number one seed a long time ago. They will not be getting overall uh, home field, although that is, it's 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 hard to believe unless you are a Dodgers fan like me. Um, 104 wins is an incredible, incredible achievement. And at the same time, they're not even close to getting home field for the playoffs uh, because of the Dodgers. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, but they are 16 and a half games out of the Mariners who were not able to win the division, but the Seattle Mariners have dropped, sorry, not have dropped. They have ended the drought, the longest playoff drought in the major sports of North America. Uh, It's been since 2001, I believe, and now that drought is over. Uh, They will be going on to the playoffs, and what better way to do it than a 3-2 pitch with two outs in the bottom of the ninth for Cal Raleigh to hit a go-ahead, well, no, a walk-off home run off the foul pole. Uh, it was, That's pretty much the best way you can drop a script to end a playoff drought, honestly. I mean, obviously, they had many games to go, and they would have clinched it anyway, but much better to clinch it on your own walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth inning than to do it with, I don't know, like the Orioles losing a morning Sunday game or something like that. Uh, th- this way was a lot more epic, and Mariners fans will have Stories to tell their children about where they were when the playoff drought was broken and uh, what they did after Cal Raleigh hit his home run, uh, the big dumper they call him. And speaking of uh, the Mariners, they are a very important team in the wild card race. They are the only team that can change the matchups now because the Blue Jays with only three games left, or sorry, with the Blue Jays with only two games left to play and the Mariners with only three games left to play, 
are three and a half games up on the Mariners for the number one wildcard spot, while the Mariners are a game and a half up on the Rays for the second wildcard spot. So it will be down to do the Blue Jays play the Mariners or do the Blue Jays play the Rays. Um, and then obviously the team who gets the worst record ends up playing the Guardians. Um, but with these exact matchups in the wild card, I'll just say, uh, I'll pretend that that's what's going to happen. And, you know, with only three games left, a one and a half game deficit is hard to make up. Um, I will pick the Guardians over the Rays in three games. And I will pick Toronto over Seattle in three as well. Although the Mariners edition of Luis Castillo and his just general abilities could just swing that series on its own just because they have that extra star pitcher. But I, I trust Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman to go out and put up strong enough performances for Toronto to be able to win that series, at least win one of those two games and then win that third game, maybe even just off their offense. There might be there might be a game in the series that goes 11 to 10, and I'm hoping for that to happen. It would be amazing if you could see a uh, 11 to 10 game uh, kind of similar to maybe some of the Rangers and Blue Jays playoff games from however long ago that was at this point, probably eight years ago or something like that. Um, but look, we know the Blue Jays will host someone, and with the Mariners only having three games left against the Tigers, it's hard to see the Rays moving ahead of Seattle. Although the Rays do have the tiebreaker over Seattle, it would require the Mariners to go 1-2 and two and then the Rays to go 2-0. and oh. um, And I just don't see how the Mariners are going to go 1-2 and two against the Tigers. It would just be very surprising. And frankly, the Rays have lost three in a row, and they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. So them going 2-0 and oh would also be a surprise uh, after their loss to the Red Sox yesterday. Talking about those matchups in more depth, Cleveland is 4-2 and two against Tampa Bay this season. They would be most likely to play them. Obviously, Cleveland has the three seed, and then Tampa Bay would be the worst wild card in that scenario. However, Toronto has a losing record against both of these teams, 2-5 and five against Seattle and 9-10 and 10 against the Rays. I, I did pick Toronto regardless, but at the same time, I, I might have to do some more research into where that was in the season for Toronto as opposed to... Uh, because I'm really just saying that I don't really care about the head-to-head matchups, but the reality is the Blue Jays did have a few stretches this year that were long, sustained stretches of just playing flat-out horrible for weeks on end, and if they played the Mariners during one of those stretches to both times, then I'm not worried at all, but that that record does concern me a little bit, and then with the record against the Rays, it's pretty much 500, um, and I just believe that the Blue Jays are the more talented team overall. So I'm going to lean on the Blue Jays, especially in a shortened series where Gosman and Manoa could just go out and dominate, and that would be the end of the series. Their pitching starts to fall off when you start to challenge their depth. It will be challenged in a long series, but not so much in a shorter series. Okay, let's move on to the National League, starting in the East. Well, the East is the only story I will skip over every other division, actually, to be quite honest, because, well, spoiler alert, the Cardinals, just like the Guardians, uh, the Central teams are the three seeds. The Dodgers with 110 wins uh, are the overall number one seed. But the Braves have already reached 100 wins. They are one and a half games up on the Mets. And uh, let's just talk about what happened in that for a second. Uh, The Braves swept the Mets in the most important series of the season in all of baseball. And I mean that, and you cannot contest that because it's the only series that actually had legitimate playoff implications that were immediately by both the teams playing each other. You could say that the White Sox and the Padres was important because if the White Sox swept the Padres, then the Padres could have missed the playoffs, but that's too far-fetched and it's not opponents directly playing each other. This was a battle to win the NL East. The Mets had an advantage going into the series 9-7 to in the season series. All they needed to do was win one game in the series and they would have taken control of the division because they would have had the tiebreaker. 
And in three games left, even if the Mets had just won that one game, it would have been three games left where the Mets play the Nationals and the Braves play the Marlins. And if the Mets win all three, they're in. If the Mets win two and the Braves only win two, the Mets are also in as the division leader. But instead, they did the one thing they couldn't do. They got swept. Now the Braves pretty much are guaranteed to win the division because their magic number is one with two games left against the Marlins while the Mets take on the Nationals for three games, who they did lose a game to last week, actually. I I guess the Braves lost a game to the Nationals while the Mets lost a game to the Marlins. Uh, But at the same time, the the Mets have kind of... They've kind of, I've lost a little bit of confidence in them, uh, but we'll talk about them in the playoffs in a second. Uh, But let's move on to the wild card very quickly. The Mets obviously will be the four seed. They will be hosting either the Padres or the Phillies. Interesting thing about this is that the Padres are only one game up on the Phillies, um, and the Phillies have the tiebreaker against the Padres. So if they somehow manage to go 2 0 against the Astros in Houston, which that's the unlikely part, uh, they would set up, they'd be set up to play. the Mets instead of St. Louis, if the Padres lost one game. Uh, so if the Padres go one and one, Phillies go undefeated. Pretty simple. Phillies become the fo- the five seed and the Padres become the six seed. Although I will honestly say, I think the Padres would lose either way. I also think the Phillies would lose either way. Um, but matching up against Scherzer and DeGrom for that team would present a much bigger challenge to them than Wainwright and Montgomery or whoever the Cardinals decide to pitch in the wildcard series. Uh, with the Phillies, I think it's all offensive. Just can they get runs generated off of whatever pitching they're facing? But in the Padres scenario, I actually think that in a series against the Cardinals, Joe Musgrove and Yu Darvish would make up the better pitching duo in, in, in to win two out of three games. I, I think they'd actually just have better pitching than their opponents. And even Blake Snell, you could throw him in there as the third guy. I, I honestly do think that they would have the three better pitchers if they were playing against the Cardinals. So that's something that factors into that series. Um, but I do believe no matter what, I, I think both of these teams are losing. However, if you look at the records, uh, the Phillies are five and 14 against the Mets. So they might want to lose those games and uh, make sure that they don't play the Mets. Um, but they are four and three against Seattle. I mean, sorry, St. Louis. I don't know why I said Seattle. Uh, the Padres on the other hand are two and four against the Cardinals, but they are four and two against the Mets. So theoretically, to make both teams happy, just the Padres should go and play the Mets and just win two games to end the season. And then the Phillies should just lay it down and kind of rest and make sure that they are healthy going into a series against St. Louis. Uh, That would be the best outcome according to the regular season series. Although I will say, I think avoiding the Mets at all costs is probably the best way to go. Just because of DeGrom and Scherzer in a three-game series, you could be out just because of those two alone. And I mean, that, that would be... That'd be a devastating way for your season to end, but with this format, that easily could happen. Okay, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball. Let's move on to the NFL, which uh, continued with Week 4 action this weekend. Uh, The best games of Week 4, starting with the Vikings, who won 28-25 over the Saints in London. What better way for a London game to end than on a field goal, although... Vikings did miss a field goal earlier and blah, 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 an extra point, this and that. This game was crazy. I mean, you go watch this game back. This is one of those games that I will say I'm not I'm not reacting to it. I'm not recapping it. You just have to go watch it if you want to see what happened. This game was back and forth. It was crazy. Uh, It ended on a Saints double doink where the kick to tie the game from 61 yards hit the upright, the inside of the, the right upright, 
then the crossbar, then bounced out after Will Lutz had actually just made a field goal from 60 yards to tie it earlier in the quarter. Um, so look, this game was just this game was just insane. I mean, it, it's that simple. And then to follow that up, the Seahawks and the Lions in the early game in one of the early games uh, on Sunday after that London game. Obviously, that one was the earliest game. Won 48 to 45. It is the first time in NFL history that that score has been achieved. It's the 1073rd unique score in NFL history. Thanks to Scorigami on Twitter for that. Um, but the Seahawks, I mean, they made the Lions defense look like a high school defense. And I think every team has been doing that this season. Um, you could make the case that if the Lions, I mean, I think I saw someone on Twitter say if the Lions had a bad defense, they would be at least three and one this season because, frankly, this defense is horrible i mean to give up 48 points at home to geno smith is just no offense to geno but that's just embarrassing i mean you just cannot do that this offense jared goff might be having the best year of his career i mean i think if he was playing like this on the rams at any point the rams would be the super bowl favorites like easily but because he's on the lions they're still one and three uh and injuries are a part of that too they obviously didn't have their full offensive uh weapons this this week but at the same time they scored 45 points regardless this game was on the defense. Um, then you have the Packers who beat the 20, the, sorry, the Bailey Zappi led Patriots 27 to 24. They knocked out Mac Jones or sorry, Mac, Mac Jones was already knocked out, but then they knocked out his backup, Ryan Hoyer, um, bringing in rookie Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky into the game. And uh, the Packers still somehow let this game get to overtime. Not really very impressed with how they played, but at least they pulled out the win. That's what matters the most, uh, but good for the Packers on that win. Okay, let's move to the most impressive teams of week four in the NFL. The Bengals are up here for me. They beat the Dolphins 27 to 15. Fun fact, the Dolphins, since the start of week one last year, have not beaten a quarterback with an O in their name. Joe Burrow continued that trend. And funny enough, last week that streak was supposed to end because they also haven't beaten a team with a quarterback, or sorry, every team with a quarterback who doesn't have an O in their name uh, is undefeated again, it, it, sorry, has not won against them. Um, and everybody was like, oh, okay, well, Josh Allen will end that, and then they'll beat Joe Burrow, and that'll flip the trend. But instead, we had the opposite, where the Bills lost to the Dolphins and the Bengals beat the Dolphins, and all of a sudden, the O-in-the-name quarterbacks continue to hurt the Dolphins. Um, we'll see what happens when I believe they play Marcus Mariota soon. That probably should end that streak, but who knows with two out. I mean, we really do not know. Um, but then you have the Bills, uh, who beat the Ravens 23-20. to Obviously, that was a good comeback uh, for the Bills. We talked about this, that the Ravens are up 20-10 to at the half, and the Bills were able to come back and win the game. And I should have mentioned more about the Bengals, but just good on offense, good on defense, good overall. Um, obviously, Tua going out in that game was a big factor, but the Bengals, I feel like, still were controlling the game regardless. Uh, then you had the Chiefs, who beat the Buccaneers 41-31. to I mean, this was like a flashback to the Chiefs that won the Super Bowl. Their offense was firing on all cylinders, and they just, they were trick play after trick play after Mahomes 360 pass, after Mahomes lefty pass, and throw out a sack. And I mean, they couldn't have done anything better to look like a Broadway show while playing Tampa Bay on a football field. Um, but the Chiefs just were in incredibly impressive. That's all I have to say about it. I mean, they they were just insane in that game. Another game that I would just say, Go back and watch it. Look at at least look at highlights because there are a lot of highlights from that game um, that were pretty insane, especially on the Chiefs side. 
Um, and then finally, you have the Niners who beat the Rams 24 to 9. Honestly, even as a Rams fan, I will say this is nothing new. The 49ers have kind of been the Rams kryptonite for a while. Obviously, the Rams got the win that mattered last year and the, the one that mattered the most in the NFC Championship game. But it would be nice to see the Rams beat the 49ers in the regular season every once in a while. Um, although that hasn't really happened at all recently. But the Niners, I'm mostly impressed with their defense in this game, holding the Rams to just three field goals. Sorry, some technical difficulties on my end. Any other quick takes from the NFL week five action, week four action? The Titans looked better, but still went cold on offense in the second half against Indianapolis, which is slightly worrying. Uh, The Eagles just keep on winning and the Raiders became the last team in the NFL to get a win while the Broncos still failed to look impressive on offense whatsoever. Okay. Does that wrap up your look at the NFL for this week? Because if it does, that wraps up this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Yes. All right. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, October 11th, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at major league baseball, this time the start of playoff action and look back at the highlights from week six of college football action. Oh, and I also forgot looking back at week five of NFL action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his major league baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow, his annual spreadsheet predicting every college football game for the 2022 regular season, our college football week six poll that was posted on Monday and Patrick's picks for next weekend's games, which as always are posted on Thursday. All that content is on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.